Hey, 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 friends and listeners, welcome back to Truth, Lies, and Alibis, your true crime podcast that looks at things from the distinct perspective of two 911 dispatchers. Episode 23, The Springfield Three. In 1992, three women disappear and their case remains unsolved. Today, I tell Jess about their disappearance, lack of evidence, and multiple suspects. Hey, Jess, we're back at it again. It's been a minute. We're back. (laughs) Who didn't think we were coming back? Who out there didn't think we'd be back? Brittany raises her hand. (laughs) Jess got all the raise her hand. (laughs) I didn't Ah, know if we'd ever come back. We're back. I want. I was like, I'm gonna post and say we're gonna be gone for a little while over the summer, and then it like stretched out more. And I was like, Oh yeah, we should probably get back at that because well, life got hard for a while. It did, and I was busy and a lot of stuff going on, and I was trying to finish. Uh, school. At the end of the day, listen. At the end of the day, us first, y'all. Sorry, <laughs> you put yourself first out there, listener people. That's please like- do. What Jessica always tells me to do, I have a hard time doing it still. If you're coming back after our break, we appreciate you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we love you. And we're, we're glad that you listen. This time, instead of doing weekly episodes, we're going to do every other week. So yes. there'll be new episodes every other week. Because it just works out better for us right now. Who knows what will happen stress. in the future. But right now, that's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> did you enjoy your break yeah it was nice not not having to edit every weekend yeah that was really nice <laughs> i think i've said before on the podcast that jessica does all of the editing which is really nice Thank because you. i would just burn it and be like f this there is no podcast <laughs> yeah having weekends back was nice so <laughs> <laughs> a lot of zumba yeah i go wh- let's see what has changed since the last time I go to Zumba three times a week. I still play D&D once a week. I got my lip pierced. She also bought some cool shoes. I bought some cool shoes. That's about it. I mean, other things happen, but that's the mundane stuff. Sounds so exciting. Yeah. Do you, you leave your house a lot? How many times do you leave your house in the last month? I'm just kidding. I go to Zumba <laughs> three times a week. Oh, yeah, you go, said that. My <laughs> week is busy as hell. That's why I don't do anything on my weekends. I, just I like, like to, to chill on my weekends because literally four out of my five weekdays, I'm doing something. <laughs> I wish I was home as much as you are. For my break, I, we went to Illinois, um, visited some family, came back. I got COVID for the second time. So that wasn't fun. Before that... I did do some more like education outreach for child abuse awareness and stuff. And I got some pretty cool opportunities that I'll probably talk about later. But yeah, I got to go to one class. That's cool. Yeah, that was cool. Jess got to come support me. That was really awesome. Other than that, I've just been working and homeschooling Emma, which is a whole nother challenge because, you know, I don't have enough crap to do. So, sure. you know, <laughs> let's just add more on. Being a mom to a teenager, which... Has its own oh, yeah. stresses. You, got, you have a high schooler. Oh, yeah. I didn't talk about that yet. I also dropped my oldest child off at high school. Dang. And cried. Um, I told of Jess and Kylie about it later. I told them about how I was like in a rush to get to a meeting and I was dropping Nova off. And then as I was driving away, I was like, oh, my God, I just dropped my daughter off at high school and like wanted to cry. So she was probably so thankful that you were busy and didn't make a big deal out of it. Probably, yeah. That was exciting. I think that's probably the most exciting was that Jude started middle school, which also made me sad. 
and then nobly started high school. Crazy. I feel really old. I mean, I'm not. I'm much too young to have a high schooler. Look at me. <laughs> so that's about it. All right. Do you have a fact today? Or <gasps> good lord, you think I would? I don't. I have a. I have a joke. I'll start with a joke. Go with a joke. Why are libraries the tallest buildings? Why? Because they have so many stories. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That sounds like a joke Nova would tell. All right, are you ready? Ready. Let's get back into this. (laughs) Get back into the horrible stories I like to tell you. Yeah, bum me out once a week now. Yay. (laughs) I'm sorry, once every other week. (laughs) So today's story is a suggestion from our Facebook friend Ash. She commented on her summer break post, and I had to give her a shout out. So hi, Ash. Hi, Ash. Thank you. Um, I also wanted to send a shout out to our Instagram friend. I think it's Mia Gabriella 13 Um, She's sent us messages before, but she sent in a suggestion for a story. I'm working on it. I just have to dig deeper to find more info because it's like an older story, but it doesn't have as much available media stuff. So I'm trying Mm. to like dig deeper because I have to go through pages of things. Mm. Anyway. Her name is Mia? Yeah. Thank you, Mia. So thank you both for listening, and we love getting messages and suggestions, and we're really glad that you like the podcast. So question for you, Jess. Sure. What do you remember most about high school graduation? Uh, It was hot and at night. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You live in a hot place. I did. Yeah. And our, our caps and gowns were white. So I just remember like the completely unbreathable material and being out on the football field and it being like really gross. And white on the football yeah. field? Whose idea was that? Was yeah. that like your school colors or no? Our school colors were gold and purple. And for some reason, I don't remember having a choice to pick purple. I just remember I was but there were people why. Yeah, there were people in purple gowns and there were people in white. I don't because I guess gold gown that would be a lot. Like a yellow, <laughs> that would be a lot. That'd be a little <laughs> bit much. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe me and my mom at the time chose white. I don't remember. Hmm. But looking back on it, I w- much would have preferred the purple. That's kind of my color now. It's weird that I didn't go with it Pick then. It back but then? yeah. Hmm. Maybe I didn't want to look like a grape. I don't know. <laughs> Instead, I just look like a ghost. <laughs> I just think of how dirty it could get out there. Yeah. You know? Well, I wasn't like rolling around. I wasn't playing football. <laughs> we were just on the football field. <laughs> no, but as a mom now, every time I see anything white, I'm like, no. No. You can't. <laughs> the other day I took Emma shopping and she wanted to buy a white shirt. And I looked at her and I said, you are my child. No. No. <laughs> What do you remember about your graduation? Uh, I remember I was pregnant with Novali. So I was kind of irritated and didn't really want to be there anyway. <laughs> and there was sure, this sure. girl sitting behind me who I didn't really care for anyways, but she kept making comments because there was a couple pregnant girls who graduated with me. And she kept making comments about pregnant ladies. And I turned around and snapped at her. <laughs> you couldn't Good tell I was pregnant yet because I was like newly pregnant. Mm. But that's what I remember Did most. Did you know you were pregnant? pretty sad. Yeah. I knew I was pregnant. Um, I think I was like a month or two pregnant, but it was my first pregnancy and I wasn't really showing and I could still fit in like to graduation. I wore one of the dresses I had worn to like a dance before so I could still fit in my clothes and everything. But I just remember that. And then we all went out to eat at 
like a restaurant in town and I don't like it wasn't like a great time in my life. It was just graduation. No. You know, people are yeah. like, Oh, it's the best day ever and blah 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 blah. Not- I was like, it's just a day. Oh, yeah, I wasn't overly attached to high school. My best moments in high school were when, like, me and my theater group were doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Other than that, high school kind of sucked, so. I know, everyone's like, it's the greatest years of your life, and I'm like. No, it's not. High school is so yes. bad. And I feel like most people will tell you that. Unless you're, they were the popular kids. Yeah. But the best parts of high school for me were twirling and going to Harry Potter midnight releases. So... <laughs> Which That's, has nothing to do with no, high school. <laughs> but I just remember that was like my favorite part of the summer was when we would go get the book. Anyway, next question. That leads me to my second question. Have you ever heard of the Springfield 3? Not off the top of my head. Okay. When you get into it, I might be like, oh, yeah. I, I heard that them, before. But... I saw something on MSN. Sorry. I mean, that's why I'm here, right? Because I don't know nothing. Because <laughs> <laughs> you like to listen to my horrible stories. <laughs> so today's sources include Wikipedia, People Investigates, Crime Watch Daily, the Springfield Newsletter, Newspapers.com, and MSN. Just so everybody knows. The unsolved missing persons case began on June 7th, 1992, when three women went missing in Springfield, Missouri, in the middle of the night. And the case remains unsolved to this day. The three women were Suzanne, Susie, Streeter, who was 18, Stacy McCall, who was 19, and Cheryl Levitt, who was 47. Stacy was described as kind, a good student, and responsible. She loved to have fun and joke around, and she was very bubbly. She was planning on going to Missouri State University after graduation. Susie was artsy, and Susie's best friend described her as very strong, outspoken, and as having the most amazing personality. Susie was planning to become a hairdresser like her mom after graduation. Susie's mom, Cheryl, was described as passionate, intense, smart, savvy, and very responsible. Her sister called her a pretty fierce lady in one interview, and she worked as a hairstylist at a local salon. Susie Streeter and Stacy McCall were high school seniors at Kickapoo High School. They had been friends since the second grade. So in some of the stuff I watched, like I watched a People Investigates, and they said that they had met in second grade and they were friends but they kind of like drifted apart but came back together by graduation and that night they were together so their graduation occurred june 6 1992 their friends and family watched them graduate and later that day Susie's best friend brings a small cake shaped like a dragon over she says it was a dinosaur really but she tried for dragons because Susie loved dragons After this, they had planned on going to an after party, and then the next day, they planned to go to a water park called White Water with their friends. Susie was supposed to call her best friend the next day. Susie and Stacy were going to stay at their friend Janelle's, but there was no space for them to sleep there, so they decided at around 2.30 to stay at Stacy's house. They were supposed to call Janelle the next day to go to the water park together. They were going to pick her up. At about 7.30, Janelle calls Susie's house and leaves a message and around 8.30, 9 o'clock, Janelle and her boyfriend might go to check on the girls because they didn't get an answer or a call back. In the driveway, all three vehicles of the women are parked, and Janelle notes in one interview that Susie's car wasn't parked in the usual spot, and she said Susie was a creature of habit and maybe even had, like, some OCD tendencies because she liked things a certain I way. I understand that. <laughs> Me too. They find glass from the light over the door shattered on the doorstep when they walk up, And Janelle wasn't wearing any shoes, so Mike sweeps the glass out of the way. And they're like, that's kind of weird, but 
Maybe they right. just didn't notice it. And then after they knock a few times, they find that the door is unlocked and they enter through the front door. Inside the house, everything seems to be normal, and Susie's dog Cinnamon is there and seems to be really upset, but there's no one else inside, so the two check the backyard and find no sign of them there as well. They wait a few minutes, but then they decide to leave. As they're heading out the door, the phone rings and Janelle picks up the phone. On the line was a male subject making obscene comments. Janelle hangs the phone up. Whoa, weird. Yeah. So Susie had previously complained about getting weird calls, so she assumes it's a classmate making a bad joke, and she just kind of blows it off, and she's like, that's gross, hangs up, because it was sexual So they had been getting calls for, like, before this night. Yeah. Huh. The male subject calls back again, and Janelle answers. He makes some more sexual comments, then hangs up. She notes that the voice sounded like a teen male, but she didn't recognize it, so she didn't think it was anyone they knew, or hung out Mm. with, at least. Interesting. That she could tell. Janelle and Mike then decide the girls must have gone with someone else to the water park and decide to leave and head to the water park without them. At least... And this is this is in the morning? Yeah. Sorry? Okay. The morning after graduation. So they're last seen at 2.30. Janelle calls around 7.30. And then around 8.30, 9 o'clock, they head over there because they're not getting any answers or callbacks because she calls a couple times. So Stacy's mom, Janice, is also concerned about her daughter when she doesn't hear from her the day after graduation. And in an interview, she said that she last heard from her when she called to say she was staying at Janelle's. So she called Janelle's that morning and Janelle said, oh, she stayed at Susie's house. And so she calls Susie's house, doesn't get any answer. Then she waits a couple hours and then she decides to go over and check on the house as well. Janice, when she gets to the residence, that's her name, Janice, Mike and Janelle are arriving about the same time because they come back because they didn't see them at the water park and they're still concerned. And the three enter the house together. Janice notes that all three of the girls' purses are left inside next to each other and that her daughter's clothes were folded neatly from the night before and their pants on top of her shoes. So this is weird because I don't know about you, but I never kept my purse anywhere but my room when I was growing up and even now I keep it in my room and Nova doesn't keep her purse in the same spot that I keep my purse and it struck them as kind of odd because they were all stacked together in Mm. one room and then Janice says that which wasn't as weird to me I guess the shoes thing kind of is but she says that her daughter didn't bring any extra clothing with her. So it was weird that she wasn't there, but her pants and her shoes were still there. And in my mind, I'm like, well, maybe she borrowed some clothes from her friend. Because, like, Kylie and I would share clothes all the time in high school. So it wouldn't be that weird if they shared clothes. But also, maybe it was weird that her shoes were there. So she just thinks it's weird that her clothes were On top of everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Cheryl's bed is perfectly made. And then... Susie's bed looks like it was slept in. So Janice thought that this either meant that Shell had never gone to sleep or she had time to wake up and make her bed before they all disappeared. Mm. Janice calls the police from the residence to report that three women are missing, and she also listens to the disturbing message on the answering machine, but then it gets deleted. Because back in the day, if you listen to it, it would delete. It was another male making sexual comments. Do they think it was the same voice? Do we know? They don't know because Janice listened to this message and I guess Janelle wasn't listening at the same time because they don't say that it was the same person. While waiting for the police, this is where things get a little weird. And I'm not blaming them. I want to throw that out there. But 
Janice, Janelle, and Michael decide to clean up the house a little to make it like more presentable because they're not no they don't know then right that they might be ruining the evidence because evidence wasn't such a big deal back then, and also they thought they were just being friendly and trying to make the house look clean for having people over. It's not what I would have done, but right. yeah, you know, back sure. then, sure, like evidence wasn't what it was is now. You know what I mean? It wasn't all over CSI or you didn't yeah. really know. It wasn't like on people's radar to be aware of. Yeah. And sure. they probably weren't in their minds. They're probably like, this is weird, but they probably aren't thinking like something awful has happened. Yeah. They're probably yeah. not letting themselves go to that place yet. Right. Right. So when police arrive, Officer Bookout does a walkthrough. He doesn't notice anything out of place. Susie's bedroom looks like it had been slept in, like he says, or like I said before, he also notices that. Cheryl's bed is made, and he notices there are quite a few people in the residence and that many people had entered and exited the house between the time they were last seen and the time that he showed up. They get there. Mm. Yeah. So he's like, who knows what kind of evidence has been destroyed. Inside the women's purses, there was nothing missing. Cheryl's purse contained money, like hundreds of dollars, so she had a deposit to make into an account, probably from her hairdresser business. Oh, yeah, yeah. And her cigarettes and lighter. And this was a red flag because she was described as a chain smoker, so she couldn't... She was so addicted. She wouldn't have, like, left it behind. No, she would have brought it. The keys of all three vehicles are in the girl's purse as well, and nothing suggests foul play. However, Officer Bookout writes out the missing persons report and notes that the girls would not have left all the important things behind willingly. Sure, yeah. One quote from the police captain, Tony Glenn, said, The only thing unusual about this house was that three women were missing from it. You had this feeling as you looked around that something was missing, that something had to be missing, but there wasn't. Just them. Hmm. Detective David Asher takes over the case and instantly notes that there is something suspicious about the disappearance. He feels the same way as the officer did. And they discover at least 10 people had entered the crime scene that day. Ten, ten people other than... Investigators. So is this like people that Janelle and the other had like called over or? Yeah. So it sounds like other friends and family members who are worried about the girls. So then they're worried about the evidence they had interfered with, obviously, but they still collect all that they can, including broken class from the light bulb because he kind of just swept it off to the side and then fingerprints from the house. So whatever fingerprints they can find. Detectives believe that either someone they knew had convinced them to leave or they were forced from the house by multiple people who had threatened them because they think like either someone knocked and like was like, oh, hey, come outside or, you know, kind of coaxed them outside or somebody came in because there's not any sign of struggle even before they clean up. Janice and Janelle say there was no weird things besides the purses being there. And the, the broken glass was from the porch light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you've definitely heard that before, too, where somebody will, like, break the porch light. So when you knock on the door and you answer, you can't really get too much See? detail and then they can surprise you. Yeah. yeah. A task force is formed to speak to the family and friends of the women and to investigate any leads as they come in. And detectives looked into Cheryl's background as well. She was recently divorced and had bought a new home and Susie and Cheryl were starting their lives over. She was excited to begin again. They... Look into her ex, and they don't find that he had anything to do with it. Investigators also attempt to get more information on the incoming call that Janelle had taken from the phone company, but that leads nowhere because the call hadn't been long enough to provide any important information. And that number never called again, right? 
Mm-mm. It called when she was there twice, right? And then maybe possibly that last message. Right. But then not again. But not again. Like, not after police and stuff were called. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Look at you being a detective and stuff. <laughs> Family and friends of the missing women hand out and hang flyers and even pay for billboards to get the information out there. The media picks up the story and names the case the Springfield Three, and the task force receives thousands of leads and they follow up on all of them. One of the leads is Bart Streeter. He is the older brother of Susie and the son of Cheryl. Bart had been disinherited by his mom and Susie had told others that she was afraid of his violent temper. So the story is that Bart had struggled with alcoholism since he was 17 years old and chose to hang out with an unsavory crowd. So he had been violent with his mother at some point, and then that led to the falling out. And for a few years, he moved to another state to be with this girl he was with. And then after the breakup, he returns to Springfield, gets a job at a survey company, and tries to reconnect with his sister and mother. And when Susie turned 18, she even moved in with him for a little bit. Until one day they got into a fight over loud music and Bart became violent with her because mm. he was drunk and mm. he already had violent tendencies. She had a bruise on her face, according to her best friend, and that was the last time Susie or her mother spoke to him. Actually, Cheryl's sister would say, like, I know that he's my nephew, but I'm afraid of him. She was even afraid sure. of him. Sure, yeah. When investigators speak to him, he tells them that he and his neighbor had been watching TV and drinking, and the neighbor backs up his alibi, but tells them at some point that Bart went home alone to sleep, which nobody can back up. After, I'm at, at this is completely unnecessary, but he went home drinking? Like, after after drinking with yeah, his, his buddy? He and he didn't home. even drink, he was sloshed, his friend said. Good. Great. Yeah. He then takes a polygraph and passes. However, we know that isn't really evidence of guilt or innocence. One officer was like, well, what if he doesn't remember everything, too, because he was drinking? Which could be... That's very fair. But also, speaking from experience, like, I hated the polygraph test. And I was like, oh, my God, I stole a candy bar when I was, like, five years old. Like, I was so stressed out. But, like, if my ex-husband can pass a polygraph, that speaks volumes. So... Yep. There's no evidence to link Bart to the disappearance, so eventually they're like, okay, we can't, we don't have anything to link you. So in 2019, Bart would be arrested for public intox and attempted false imprisonment in Tennessee, and police then decide to reinvestigate him, because it's still not solved, right? But then rule him out in the Springfield 3 case. So Lake Springfield is also searched and cadaver dogs were used in the area, which also leads to nothing. So going into other... Because they're starting with each of their lives, right? Dustin sure. Rikla, I don't know how to say his last name, but was Susie's ex-boyfriend, and he was also a suspect. You're going to love this story, Jess. Get ready for it. He had recently <laughs> been arrested with two others for digging up bodies to take their teeth. Specifically, $30 worth of gold fillings. I don't know about you, but when I heard that, I was like, that's a lot of work for $30. Yeah, it is. One. Just the act of digging up a body? grave robbing yeah like what is this the 1830s in london what are you doing where did you get that idea where were you like we should dig up bodies and pull out their gold teeth how do you even know there's gold teeth in there how many bodies did they actually dig up before they got 30 dollars? yeah that's uh, most importantly to back to your point that's a lot of work Digging up the bodies, getting into the coffins, pulling their teeth out. Then you have to get the gold from the tooth 
And who's gonna who you gonna take that gold nugget into like a a pawn shop or what are they the like gold shops where you can exchange gold for cash? This is that's nice a too. lot. Of, you could also out. go get like a part time job <laughs> and work a couple hours and get thirty bucks. You could also not dig up bodies and get the same amount of money. Just a thought. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, put a lemonade stand on the corner or something. <laughs> get, learn how to play guitar and set up on a corner and play some song. Like. Just stand on so the corner and be other, and just ask beg for money. And I bet you yeah. could get yeah yeah uh, anything other than grave robbing. How about he had used Susie's vehicle during one of the grave digging trips, and Susie had been interrogated, and she was actually scheduled to testify against Dustin and Michael Clay in court for their involvement in mm. the crime. Dustin says he was passed out in his car from drinking too much by himself the night. Is that the only thing that there was to do in 92? In Springfield, Missouri? I was very young at the time, so I don't remember. Was there anything else? I was still in diapers, so... Yeah. (laughs) And then no one knew where Michael was, so there's never been any solid alibi for any of them for the night of the Springfield 3's disappearance. Michael had even made a comment about wishing Susie was dead when he learned she was going to testify... However, there was no definitive evidence to link them to the disappearance. Their fingers were not in the house, and Dustin and Michael also take polygraphs. Their fingers were in the house. (laughs) Their fingerprints, sorry, are not in the house. They didn't find any fingers to link them to the crime. They didn't leave behind a pinky? Well, I mean, they're not very bright. They could have left some teeth, some gold teeth. (laughs) I don't think they found any of those those either. they definitely would have taken. (laughs) Dustin and Michael also take polygraphs and pass, which we've said means nothing. A woman in the neighborhood calls in a tip saying that the morning of the disappearance, she saw Susie driving an avocado-colored van two blocks from Cheryl's house and could hear a man saying, don't do anything stupid inside the vehicle. However, this lead also goes cold. I was like, how did she hear how what was being said? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Avocado-colored van. The inside of the avocado. That was my band's name in high school. (sighs) Add that to the list. (laughs) In my D&D group, there was the best one. It was um, Vanilla Werewolf. And I was like, that was my band's name in high school. (laughs) That's a pretty good band name. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. Another lead called in was about Robert Craig Cox. Robert, who was once an Army Soldier of the Year was dishonorably discharged when he pleaded guilty to kidnapping and assault with a deadly weapon in California. Hmm. He moved to Springfield weeks before the girls disappeared, and Robert supposedly worked for a telephone company, and they had been surveying across from the women's home. I also hmm. read somewhere that he, like, lived either across the street or nearby. Hmm. Robert also worked at the same dealership with Stacy's father at some point. Her father doesn't remember him, but says Stacy would come in frequently. So they're wondering if he saw her there and he was interested in her and followed her here. Cox had also been the suspect in the death of Sharon Zellers, who disappeared on December 30th, 1978, when she was on her way home from working at Walt Disney World. Sharon was 19 at the time. Her body was found badly beaten near Orlando, Florida in an orange grove, and her cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. She was described as friendly but shy, and all of her friends and family loved her. At the time, Cox was visiting his parents and was staying at a hotel across from the Grove. He had also been seen in the hospital that night because part of his tongue had been bitten off by someone else. Oh. 
He claimed that he had done it on his own, but the staff found it suspicious and reported it to police. They weren't able to make a case against Cox until 1986 when he was charged with her murder. He was convicted and sentenced to death in 1988. However, you're going to love this. Can't wait. In an extremely rare ruling, the Florida Supreme Court overturned his conviction and said that prosecutors had only circumstantial evidence that wasn't good enough to convict. He was released in 1989 and then moved to Springfield. Mm. <laughs> he was then turned over to California authorities on suspicion of abducting two other women in California. And then when investigators speak to him, he says he was at a golf tournament then stayed at his parents' house and woke up the next morning to take his girlfriend to church. His girlfriend verifies his alibi. In 1995 in Texas, Robert Cox had held a 12-year-old girl at gunpoint, and investigators go to speak to him about the Springfield Three again. He changes his story, not admitting involvement, but also not denying it. When they speak to his now former girlfriend, she admits she has no idea where he was the night of the disappearance. Wait, hold on. He, he held a... I, I only heard you say held a 12-year-old at night at gunpoint and that got lost. When did that happen? What happened? In 1995. When they go to question him? No. Or So he holds this girl at gunpoint. Then investigators are like, okay, maybe we should look into him again because he just keeps stacking up these suspicious violent oh, okay. crimes. Yes. So then they go to re-interview him. I gotcha. He doesn't admit that he's involved, but he also doesn't deny it. And when he, they speak to his now former girlfriend, she admits that she has no idea where he was the night of the disappearance. So back in the day, she said, because they interview him when they when he's turned over to California on suspicion of abducting the two other women because they know he was in Springfield and they think it's suspicious. And she says, oh, he was at a golf tournament with his parents. Then he came and picked me up and we went to church together. And then later, after he's arrested now and they're no longer together, she's like, actually, none of that happened. And I have no idea where he was. Cool. <laughs> and in 1996, he tells journalists in an interview that he knew the Springfield Three were dead and that their bodies would never be found. He also said he was in the home the night the women disappeared. He said he would never disclose what he knew until his mother died. He said that to an interviewer? To, to who? To a journalist? To a journalist who did an interview with him. And he was like... I think she said something like, is that your theory? He's all, that's not a theory. I just know they're dead. I just, it, you can't trust what people like him tell to journalists. They they want that reaction. They want to be big news. So he could be just talking out of his ass. Who knows? And he's obviously full of lies. So he has never been officially cleared and he's currently serving a life sentence. For? For that, holding that 12-year-old at gunpoint. Which I'm like, he got a life sentence on that? But they literally overturned his death sentence even because it was circumstantial, which I'm like, so what? Circumstantial is still evidence. Like, I bet that person feels real great about themselves now because look at what he's gone on to do. Yeah. So you can't like, going back to what you said, you can't really trust what he said, but you also don't know because he's been involved right. in so much that he could have been involved in this disappearance. And that's why you don't want to get like caught up on it too, because he's this terrible guy but what if he didn't do it? So you don't want them to be like, yep, that's our guy. Even though and then let the other person because- off. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, that's why it's so hard because he's obviously this like messed up person that he makes these horrible choices. So he probably, if he didn't, like in my mind, right, if he's not responsible, 
everybody's all uh, coming to him and being like oh did you do this like you know we think that you did this blah 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 he's like sure yeah i did that like taking credit for something that somebody else has done and he probably was like if i had the opportunity yeah i would have done that you know what i mean that like and it's such a well-known case like you're saying he could just be like i want to be known for that i want the attention other suspects named in various articles include gerald carnahan In 1985, Jackie Johns was violently assaulted and beaten and then dumped in Lake Springfield. He was a suspect in the case and was accused of lying about his alibi. A judge dismissed the case because there wasn't enough evidence to convict. Over the years, Gerald would be named as a suspect in other cases, including 1987, when Debbie Sue Lewis vanishes from her car on US-160, just like Jackie Johns. Her purse and keys were found in the vehicle with the driver's door wide open. Lewis's skeleton was discovered months later in Newton County. He was suspected but never charged. Then, in spring of 1993, he attempted to kidnap a woman off the sidewalk and served two years in prison. Two. His trial actually had to be held in Columbia because 90% of the prospective jurors had heard of him being suspected in other cases. So they had to move him from his own county because everyone knew this guy's probably a murderer so that he could get a fair trial. All of this stuff I was reading, I was like, Jesus Christ. In 2007, investigators matched Gerald's DNA to the murder of Jackie Johns. He was convicted of the first-degree murder and rape and is serving a life sentence. Here's the kicker. At the time of his conviction, he was married with two young daughters. Yeah. Yeah. And she, like, was from a different country and came here and married him and knew nothing about him Mm. and was shocked to find out she was married to this monster. That's one of the things that I wish, you know, we we talk about it all the time that we wish for those cold cases or those old ones that that we could go back and like save the DNA evidence and stuff like that. Because had mm-hmm. that girl, the one that was left in the grove, if she did bite his tongue, his DNA would have been in her mouth. Yeah, I didn't think of that. But people didn't know what DNA was going to become, Yep, which is sad. But then there's awesome cases that we've talked about where they... We're like, I don't know what this could be used for, but we're going to save it. But we're going to save it. Yeah. Stephen Garrison was also a suspect. He was a known motorcycle gang member at the time. And in 1993, when he was being held for another unrelated weapons charge, he told investigators he had information on the Springfield Three in an attempt to get out of jail. He claimed that he was at a party and heard someone confess to killing the three women and then taking their bodies to a hog farm in Webster County. He supplied some information that police say wasn't public knowledge at the time. His bail was lowered and police put him up in a hotel, but he fled. (gasps) Shocking! Oh, it gets worse. Days later, he broke into a Springfield apartment where he attacked a 21-year-old college student. She survived and testified against Garrison, and he is serving 40 years in prison for rape, sodomy, burglary, and robbery. The Springfield News leader stated, For all his bluster, for all the loud talk in court about being an outlaw, unafraid of anything or anyone, Stephen Eugene Garrison was oddly quiet when the jury found him guilty of being a rapist, sodomite, robber, and burglar. So, he talked a bunch of shit, and then when the time came, he was like, Oh, fuck, you caught me. To this day, the case of the Springfield Three is still open and haunts the families of the missing and investigators. According to the Springfield Police Department's website, a reward fund of $42,000 has been established for the location and prosecution of the persons responsible for the abduction of the three women. Now retired Sergeant David Asher said, 
It's hard to be known for something you didn't do as opposed to something you did do. I think of it. I think of it all the time. I want it to be solved. I want it for Janice and Stu McCall, the streeters, the police department, and I want it for the community. I think they need it. The case has always been kind of creepy to me. How did three women just disappear? And then never, never, their bodies are never found. No trace of them has ever found. And there's no evidence. I mean, there are people in there cleaning up after, but it doesn't sound like they, I mean, they didn't walk in and find blood all over the carpet or anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Man, those poor women. I know. It's crazy. Sadly, we know they're probably dead. Susie and her mother, I read somewhere, I should have looked into it more, but like their family had them declared as deceased after the five-year mark of their disappearance. Mm-hmm. Janice, in the interview I saw, was like, because they had the task force, but at some point mm-hmm. they couldn't afford to keep the task force, so they had to shut it sure. down. And she was yeah. just like, it was just disappointing because we don't have any answers at all. Yeah. Like nothing. And I don't know, if it was my kid, I don't think I'd ever stop looking. So that's yeah. just heartbreaking. And it's also like they just graduated, literally just graduated high school, and they had all of this life ahead of them, and then they were just gone. Yeah. What do you think happened, Jess? Oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. To like theorize about it, though, you have – I could see it being – I think that because it seems so clean and – Like, I could see it being somebody from outside the community who, like, nobody knew, so it didn't really stand out or anything like that. And using, again, with that light being out, I think that's key to it. Like, that got the ladies to, like, open the door, at least. Mm -hmm. But, like, somebody came up to the door, maybe said, hey, can I get some help or whatever? They opened the door. They were ambushed. And whether there was more than one suspect, which... You have to think that there probably was, given the fact there's three women. But it's also very likely that they used one as, like, a hostage and said that, like, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, I'm going to kill this, you know, I'm going to kill your friend or your daughter or your mom, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever the situation, and, like, made them get into another vehicle and and got them to cooperate that way long enough to, like, get them out of town. Mm -hmm. Who knows? I mean, it'd be nice to be able to be like, oh, well, this person has this connection, but it just seems so clean. Well, I think the hard thing, too, is without any evidence, even if it was one of the suspects they listed, anyone could come in and say it was a different suspect. Yep. Because it's so unknown. It doesn't sound like like maybe fingerprints, maybe a foot track. Like, it doesn't seem like... Like you said, it wasn't covered in blood. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like there would have been a lot of evidence, like forensic evidence, to be messed up with by people being in the house. I mean, you have all their belongings were like piled up really nice and night or neat and tidy. Mm-hmm. Like that's definitely weird. Yeah, and there was no and it's sign like, of what a is that all in. about? Yeah, which is kind of like rules out the other people that had like burglary and robbery charges because i feel like had they had the opportunity they would have taken all their shit there wouldn't have been hundreds of dollars in a purse like that person was specifically there to take those women yeah and also like i think about the other people they listed and they kind of just disposed of their body in places that were like easy to find and it didn't sound like they really learned their lesson on that so yeah, you and like the ladies that were them, taken off the side of the road, their cars were, the doors were left wide open, their cars were left on the side. There was no cleanup. Like mm-hmm. this was, this 
had thought behind it. Like, once this happens, this is the process that needs to happen to, so, like, I don't leave a ton of evidence behind. It seems pretty planned to me. I don't know. It could have, I mean, like you said, there was at least thought to it, but, like, how do you enter the house and leave without leaving anything? Even if it you put some thought into it. I don't know. It's just weird. It's The whole thing is weird. Yeah. I could also, like, the theory of, like, maybe there was another woman involved, and that's why things work. Like, that's why the purses were neat and tidy. Like, the, that cleaning up thing, the fact that it wasn't just, like, they left the purses where they fell, but the fact that they, like, they were all together and, like, the clothes were folded, I could see maybe, like, maybe... It was a group of people, who knows how many people, a couple, a trio, who knows, that like ambushed these women. Like maybe this woman came to the door and was like, help, I need help. And they like brought her in or opened the door. These other people rush in and subdue them, however. And then she like cleans up the scene and then they all get out. Yeah. I would think it would have to be more than one person Mm -hmm. because there is changes to the scene after the women are gone yeah and so at at least to me right like that makes sense that you couldn't have subdued them like you're you're not gonna force women into an avocado colored van (laughs) i'm not saying that was involved i just that came to my head again and that's very funny (laughs) and like tie them up i don't know chloroform them get them to pass out or something and then go back into the house you have three women in your vehicle you're gonna get the hell out like, yeah, and that's just, like, too much to do without making a mess. Yep. And yeah. another thing that, like, I thought about, because we could speculate all day, right? But, like, the girls sure. were supposed to stay somewhere else. So maybe the target wasn't even the girls. Maybe it was the mom. It was mom. And the girls yeah. came home, and whoever was there was already there, right? And they didn't know. Interesting. And so yeah. they put their, because I think the purses were found in her room, in um, Susie's room. Either Susie's room or the living room. But maybe if it was her room, they put their purses down in her room, and then that person moved all of them together and moved the girls out. You know, like, I don't know, maybe they were getting into bed, and that's why mom's bed wasn't made. And then the person came in and was like, listen to what I say, I have your mom in the other room, or like, you know, who knows? But also, like, I don't think they were killed there because there wasn't any... Oh, I don't think so. I, I mean, I honestly think they're probably dead, but I don't think they were killed there, which is really sad. Also, like, how could you? I don't know. That would just just must have been terrifying for them. They're like, I just graduated high school. Gosh darn it! Can you leave me alone and let me live my life? I just survived the worst time of my life, and now this is happening. Uh, you always hope that somewhere down in the future that something will break the case wide open. There's so many suspects, right? And there was this girl sure. on the crime. Well, you have nothing to go off of. So, so people are just like, like everyone. making things up, kind of like we are. Yeah. Like, we're like, oh, this could have happened or that could happen. Yeah, yeah. But there's this girl who's a writer who lives in Springfield who investigated. And then she said there was a parking garage that went up, like, right after the girls had disappeared. And she took out some investigators and they found evidence that there was bodies there or something. You can watch this on Crime Watch Daily, their Springfield 3 one. I won't, but listeners, feel free to. <laughs> it was really weird because the lady was, like, talking to them, and she was like, yeah, there was evidence that there was a body, but then the police said it was too expensive to dig it up, and then they determined that the parking garage was already there at the time of the disappearance. Anyway, all this stuff, right? 
And then they're like, why are you here today? Like, what, what do you want out of this? And she's like, I just want this case to be solved. And she was like saying something. And then she got all weird and was like, I'm not going to answer that question. And saying how she was scared for her life. And like, she knows who did it, basically, but she can't say and not to trust any. It was real weird. And I was like, it was kind of like she was implying that people who had power within Springfield had something to do with the disappearance, like the police, Mm. maybe. And then Mm. I was like, because she's she's not credible. So I didn't I didn't want to mention her, but it just like, yeah, came up because I was thinking about the bodies. And then there was like another story where they found a body, but then they determined that it was too old to have been involved, like it had been there for too long for it to be one of the girls. So even if they came across the body, right, it could be at this point, there could be no DNA evidence left that Uh, could help even. It's sad. I think it's one of those, like, kind of like the John Binet that'll never officially be solved. And who knows? Anyway, thanks for listening to my awful story. I'm really glad that we're doing this again. <laughs> and <laughs> I hope you missed them. <laughs> if anybody knows any information, is there a phone number they should call? Let me look that up because there definitely is because they have that reward. Anyone with information about the disappearance of Cheryl Levitt, Susie Streeter, and Stacy McCall is asked to contact the Springfield Police Department at 417-864-1810 or Crime Stoppers at 417-869-TIPS. That's T-I-P as in Paul, S as in Sam. This is their age progression. Well, I'm looking at this. NBC article that was written in 2022, so last year. So it says then, if they were alive, that Cheryl would be 77 years old, Susie would be 49, and Stacy would be 48. As unprobable as it is, I hope that they stumble upon something that helps them. That one piece of information that, I mean, you can't change the past, but you can help people get closure. Yeah. And you always want families to have those cl- that closure. Thanks again to Ash, who sent the story in, and yeah, yeah um, I hope you enjoyed our coverage of it, and if you hear anything, let us know, and any of your other listeners, if you want any cases covered, reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram, and it might take a while for us to respond, but I will get to it eventually. I just am busy raising four children and working and, you know, trying to stay alive. <laughs> <laughs> we'll We're back at it. See you in two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. Thank you for listening. Additional information for each case can be found on our website, truthliesandalibis.buzzsprout.com. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at truthliesandalibis.